Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. A friend of mine listened to Sid Roth and um, heard about this book that and had the testimony from Billy Brim. Brim, And I highly recommend this book. Um, It's called The Blood and the Glory. And um, Billy worked for Kenneth Hagin back in the 70s. She was an editor for him. She has her own ministry. But this, this short little book has all kinds of testimonies about pleading the blood. And um, she talks a lot about how the church today has been robbed by, by the enemy of the power of the blood. And this really sunk into my heart. And it's um, that verse in Revelations, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they love not their life unto the end. And I, if that finally connected for me in a deeper level, and so I want to share with you how that happened. I, um, I have a relative who um, has turned their back on God, and I'm sure all of you have, have that. You either have a brother or a sister or a spouse or grandkids or kids, and sometimes you're just at a loss of, you know, how to pray, because you don't want to come to God and tell him what you think he should do. You really want (laughs) to come into agreement and pray what he wants you to pray. But, um, so I read this book, and I started asking the Father to show me how to apply this in in my family, and I started praying for all of them, but it's like the Holy Spirit focused me on this one person. And this person had, is denying Christ, was baptized, born again in this very church, is denying Christ and God. But I know it's in here that she's denying, not in here. And so I I don't go after the sin that I see. God taught me that a long time ago. You speak into existence those things that are not as though they are. You see that person as I see them, which is under the blood. And so I'd been been praying, and this is kind of the short short of what I pray. I I say, I, I thank the Father for the blood and all that it means, all that it's done for me, because there's my testimony. I thank him that we're seated on the right-hand side of God in Christ Jesus in heaven. That's our perspective. That's who we are. And then I say, and I plead the blood of Jesus between me, between me and mine, between me and mine and the enemy and all that he has planned to rob them of salvation of wholeness, of redemption. It's all those things that the enemy plans. So I started praying specifically for this person. And um, because she had shared with me a couple of months ago that she had these really bad dreams and visions. And she was hearing voices. uh, Things were moving around in the house that shouldn't be moving. You know, she sent me this text, and I'm thinking... She would never do this unless she's desperate. But you know they know where to come. And I'm, th- and I'm being careful. I said, God, don't let me start being self-righteous or lecturing her on the doors that she's opened to the enemy because she's done some door opening. You know, and um, sometimes you kind of wonder where your authority is when it's in somebody else's life. And can I slam those doors when they're opening them? Hmm. I think so, you know, especially when God gives us the blood. And so I just started praying for her specifically. 
And I said, Father, and this is something he gave me. He said, I said, I plead the blood over all of her dreams, all of her thoughts, all of her desires, all of her appetite, that even though the enemy has put the wrong thing in there, God, I'm pleading the blood over that right now, and you're going to turn that around to where she has visions of you, encounters, that she has dreams about you, that she can't run from you anymore, and that that blood is going to keep her in a place where the enemy cannot rob from her anymore and keep her in a place where you have the opportunity, God, and the time to do your total transformation. Well, a couple weeks ago, she had a dream, and she wouldn't tell me about it, but she told her mom. (laughs) And um, so her, her mom shared with me, and I was like, that is a dream about heaven. That girl went to heaven, <laughs> but she won't tell. She won't tell me. And I'm like, God, keep doing it. And I, I'm doing this. I don't want to say religiously every day because it cannot be a formula. It's it's really got to be spirit led. But I, you know, I'm testifying and I'm doing it out loud. I'm using their name out loud, and. I'm believing I'm going to see some real miracles. So, hallelujah. The other thing is, I started pleading the blood over my own body. And I'm healed now. I, every, everything is back to normal. I praise God. He used doctors and medicine, but he also used himself, you know, in those things. And so I just want to tell you, I started pleading. You know, if you're having some health issues that are not letting go and you've done all the right things, testify, plead the blood, and don't love your life. <laughs> Sylvia, will you share about the healing rooms that happened yesterday? Yesterday at the healing rooms, we had a, a healing, a miraculous healing. Um, this lady came in for prayer and she couldn't see out of her left eye. Rose, was it the left eye? And um, we prayed for her and we did. We, we pled the blood of Jesus over her. And, um, and she goes, well, I, she goes, I feel something. So she gets up and she goes, well, I need to look in the, at a light place and then I need to go. She went out in the hallway and looked in the dark place and and she goes, it's gone because she had in her eye, inside her eye, it was like, she said it was like liquid, like, like, like gel or something. And, and so she was having a really time just, yeah. And like, what was it? Well, it's just, yeah, yeah. So. We did. We prayed for her, and Jesus healed her. It's as simple as that. And I, I want to give a personal testimony. I had been having problems um, in my breast area, and it, they, I mean, it was a lot of, lot of pain. And Brian just kept praying for me, and Kim prayed for me, and I know that Jesus healed me because I'm, I'm, I'm good now. <laughs> I feel good. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Amen. We've been talking for a long time. About seeing transformation in this city. And we've begun. Things have begun to move in the spirit. But there's more far more to be done. I'd like you to pray with me if you would. I'm sure you'd rather hear from God than me. Amen. Hallelujah. So Father, we ask that you would come this morning and teach us by your spirit. Father, we ask that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to understand what your word says and understand what your spirit is saying to the church. 
Amen. Praise God. Um, I wanted to just start by saying I, I really appreciate what Kim had to say this morning. And the book that she recommended to us, I'm sure, is a fantastic one. Um, I'm looking forward to reading it myself. What I'm going to share with you today is largely from this book by Lou Engel. It's called Pray Ekbalo. And you'll understand the Greek word ekbalo when I'm a little further into the teaching this morning. But I'd like to begin, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8 and 9, or your phone or whatever you use to read the word. Um, I'm not going to take time this morning to read those two entire chapters. Um, there are some fantastic stories there of Jesus interacting with people. I want to just very quickly summarize what he did as Matthew recorded it there in, in Matthew chapters 8 and 9. The first one is that he healed a leper. There are two different stories of a paralyzed man being healed. In other words, two different paralyzed men were healed. He caused a fever to leave Peter's mother-in-law. In fact, in Luke's gospel, it says he rebuked the fever and it left. Think about that. He rebuked a fever and it left. I've heard of rebuking demonic spirits, but uh, maybe that fever was caused by demonic spirit. It says, he gives one specific example at least of a person being set free from a demonic spirit. And later on, I think in verse 17, it says, he cast out many demonic spirits. There's the story of the woman who was healed, who'd had a flow of blood for 12 years. There are two different stories, I believe, of Jesus giving sight to blind men. And then there's the healing of a mute man, a man who could not speak. And again, Jesus cast out a spirit, and the man was able to speak. In our American culture today, we tend to shy away from such things. I remember when the deliverance ministry first started many years ago, back in the 70s, as I recall. Much of the church was thinking that uh, if you talked about demons, you must be a little bit mentally disturbed. But if you read the scripture, what does it say? Okay? Now, that's a little bit of background about what Jesus has been doing. And all of this, I believe, is summarized in the last four verses of Matthew chapter 9. So if you want to look at verses 35 to 38 with me. You know, every month during our Cover Cheyenne prayer time, part of our prayer guides that Jay puts out for us are, they mention <clears throat> these verses. In fact, they're usually listed for us to read, and he encourages us to meditate upon them and then pray them because we're praying for the harvest. So these shouldn't be completely new to you, but um, let's take a look at them. Let's just first of all read them beginning with verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was, he was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest 
to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's go back to verse 35. First of all, why did Jesus go through all? You see that word, all? He went through all the cities and villages, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Why? Well, Luke 19.10 tells us that he came to seek and save the lost. Jesus was going to look for lost people rather than waiting for them to come to him. That's been one of the biggest fallacies in the American church. We want to bring people to our building and expect God to do something in their lives when they come. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus went to them. Now, the word save in Luke 19.10 is the word sozo, which means not only to save, but also to heal, to deliver, and to make whole. Again, the American church has focused so much on salvation, which we have limited to being forgiven for your sin, cleansed from your sin, accepted by the Father, and brought into the kingdom of God, all of which is true, except there's not very much emphasis on the kingdom. Thank God for eternal salvation. Thank God that Jesus made a way for us to come to the Father through his blood. I don't mean to discount that in the least. But at the same time, the word also means heal of physical disease, as well as emotional diseases, but healing for the whole man. Deliverance from the powers of darkness, from demonic control, from demonic strongholds or bondages in our lives, and made whole, made what God intended for us to be in the beginning. See, Jesus is the Lord who forgives all your iniquities and who heals all of your diseases. So we see that Jesus was doing everything he could within the limitations of his human body. You understand when, when God, Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one. They are all equally God. And Jesus, when he became a man, gave up his omnipresence. He was limited to a physical body, which got tired and needed to sleep, which got hungry and thirsty and needed to be fed. Okay? So there were limitations on what Jesus could humanly, physically do. But when he saw the crowds, he realized that there were many more people than he would be able to help by himself. It must have been overwhelming. It's like you heal one and there's a hundred more in line waiting. You pray for one and there's another hundred. It just seemed to be never ending. But verse 36 tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion. You see, he didn't just have compassion or feel compassion. It wasn't just an emotion. His compassion moved him to act. There are three other, three other passages which tell us that Jesus was moved with compassion. In Matthew 14, 14, Jesus saw a great multitude 
was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. His action there was that he healed their sick. In Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 42, it says, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. So what did Jesus do here? He reached out his hand and touched this man, which was not something Jewish people did. A leper was unclean. In fact, as a leper approached other people, they were to announce that they were unclean so that you could avoid contact with them. But Jesus was not afraid of what this man had because he knew he had the power to heal him. In Mark chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and again was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. So here in this case, Jesus, in response to seeing their need, taught them what they needed to know. In Matthew 18, Jesus told a parable about a servant who owed his money, a large, his master, a large debt that he was not able to pay. When the servant begged the master to give him time to pay the debt, Jesus said that the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. That was the, the master's action. In every case, compassion moved a person to act. Compassion is far more than pity or empathy. Compassion compels a person to act to meet the need. So going back to Matthew chapter 9, what action did Jesus take in that passage? He'd already been teaching, preaching, and healing. We could say that that's part of his compassion and being expressed. But then verse 36 says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. And verse 37 says that he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So what did Jesus do when he saw this overwhelming need in front of him? He shared his vision of the harvest with his disciples and commanded them to ask the Lord of the harvest for more laborers. In other words, man, I can't do this alone. I need help. And I'm asking you to ask the Father to send people to help because it's overwhelming. The need is great. The Lord's answer for the shortage of laborers was to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out more laborers. I want to go a little bit further. You know, in the original scriptures, these verses and chapter divisions were not there. So chapter 10, verse 1, just continues the narrative here. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. So what did Jesus do here? He equipped them to reap the harvest. He gave them power. Power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. In verses 2 to 4, the names of the apostles are listed. But in verse 5, it says that Jesus 
sent out the 12 and commanded them, as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. So first of all, in verse 38 of Matthew 9, Jesus commanded his disciples to pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And then, in answer to their own prayers, he sends them into the harvest to do exactly what he had been doing. Well, now that we've looked at that context, I want to take a closer look at chapter 9, verse 38. First of all, when we see the word pray there, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest, this is not the most commonly used word for prayer in the New Testament. In fact, it has a very specific purpose. There's a specific type of prayer that is needed in some situations. Understanding this word is crucial to understanding what the Lord is saying here. It's the Greek word, and please, I'm not a Greek scholar. My pronunciation is probably wrong. I can spell it for you in the English transliteration if you want. It's D-E-O-M-A-I. could be pronounced Deomai. I don't know. As I said, I'm not a Greek scholar. But anyway, that's the word. But the same word is also used in Luke chapter 5, verse 12, where it's translated, depending on your translation, implored, begged, or pleaded with. Luke 5, 12 says, And it happened when he, saw, when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, this man had a desperate need. He was facing isolation from his family and friends. And he understood that his life hung in the balance. And Jesus was the only one who could change his fate. The same word is used in Luke chapter 9, verses 38 and 40, where it is translated implore, beseech, or beg. Reading from the NIV of that passage, it says, A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Can you imagine being in this man's position? He's seeing his son scream. I don't know whether it was pain or f fear, what it was, but his, his son was experiencing what we would today call grand mal seizures. It was, I would think, scared, cried out of fear. Jesus responds this way. He says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. So again, there's a desperate need that caused this man to beg Again, it's this, this Greek word, deomai. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, the English Standard Version actually adds a word to many of the other translations. It says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Lou Engel writes about this word. It is not a passive, under your breath type of prayer but a resounding cry of intensity and desperation. Jesus is not calling his disciples to bloodless, passionless, vague, namby-pamby prayer requests. He is inviting us to shake heaven with our voices until laborers fall out 
There's intensity. There's a begging, a crying out, a desperate cry. I've got to have help. That's what this word means. Another word we need to understand, and this is really one of the key words in this passage, in this verse, Matthew 9:38, is the word for trans, or which is translated "send out." It's the Greek word "ekbalo." Again, pardon my pronunciation, but the word "send out" in Matthew 9:38 is translated "cast out." in chapter 10, verse 1. When Jesus said, when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power of unclean spirits to cast them out. See, Ekbalo is neither polite nor restrained. Ekbalo is far more strident and spiritually confrontational, filled with passion and force. It's the same word that Jesus used in Luke 11:20 when he said, "But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you." Ekbalo is a verb of intense spiritual energy, creating alignment with divine purpose, which proves the kingdom is advancing. One more example is in John chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, where it says the, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple. The word drove is ekbalo. He drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. If you can imagine Jesus at age 30 approximately, walking in there, big muscled guy from working in carpenter shop most of his life, and he grabs tables and flips them over and says, Get out of here! He drives them out with a whip. I think he was a little angry. That's the intensity of Ekbalo. Luingo writes that Ekbalo means to forcibly expel, to thrust out violently, to fling. Each time the word is used, it is with pronounced forcefulness. The zeal of the word almost borders on anger, especially in its application to the Lord's confrontation with demons. If we are going to challenge the hellholes of spiritual darkness on earth, we need much more than a little emotional inspiration. We need a forceful thrusting out and empowering by the spirit that comes in answer to the forceful cry, Ekbalo. One more word. Actually, I'm going to talk about a couple here in verse 38. And Well, sorry. let's go back a little bit. In Matthew 9.38, the words send out, as we've just talked about, are ekbalo. But in chapter 10, verse 5, wait a minute, I'm sorry. All right, I'm going to go from memory. In Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus sends out the 12. The word is not ekbalo, it's apostolo. Same English words, but a different Greek word. As I thought about this and meditated on this, this is what came to me.
the Ekbalo prayers of Matthew 9.38, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. That Ekbalo send out results in an apostolo sending of the apostles. In fact, in chapter 10, or verse, chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus calls the 12 disciples to him, but in the very next verse, these same 12 men are called apostles. The word apostle means sent one. So the question that came to me, and I'm not going to be dogmatic here because I can't be. <laughs> I'm not certain. But the question is this. Does the ekbalo of Matthew 9.38 bring about the apostello of Matthew 10.5? Saying it another way. Do the Ekbalo prayers of the intercessors release an apostolic calling for those who are sent? I'm not going to answer that question. I'll let you think about it. Pray about it. Ask God about it. I want to read to you an example of Ekbalo prayer. from Lou Engel's book, Pray Ekbalo. By 12 midnight, it wasn't fun anymore. Enough already. No, not enough. The heart-wrenching prayers would not cease, could not be stopped, until the people peacefully slumbering around him were finally disturbed. Overlooking the Hudson River, the intercessor poured forth a torrent of loud, agonizing prayer crying, Lord of the harvest, thrust forth laborers into the gangs of New York City. <clears throat> when the police arrived to arrest the man for disturbing the peace, they discovered that he was praying for the city. Heaven came to his defense. They refused to interfere. And so the prayers continued. Dick Simmons had no idea of the divine energy he was releasing as he prayed Ekbalo from Matthew 9.38. At that time, he probably didn't know or care about the finer points of the Greek. Yet on the very night he was praying, it was later discovered that a young man in Pennsylvania saw a photograph in Life magazine in 1958 of seven teenagers who were members of a gang in New York. The Holy Spirit moved him with compassion, and he was drawn to go to preach to them. History records the young man's name as David Wilkerson. The cross and the switchblade, the conversion of Nikki Cruz, Teen Challenge, thousands of drug addicts and gang members converted, Times Square Church, millions impacted by the gospel through the life and ministry of David Wilkerson. All this because one man cried Ekbalo into the quiet night. David Wilkerson recently joined the great cloud of witnesses, and all the world knows his name. But who knows Dick Simmons? I tell you, heaven, heaven knows Dick Simmons. One man praying one verse. Matthew 9, 38, thrust forth one laborer, and behold the harvest. Tens of thousands of souls will not only be credited to Dick Wilkerson's account, but to the account of a praying man. Ever has it been that history goes to the intercessor? The person who went and the person who prayed 
both reap the harvest, and both receive their eternal reward. So this is the power of this prayer. Pray, Ekbalo. God, open our eyes to see it. As we've been talking about reaching Cheyenne and transforming this city, one question that's come to my mind is how many laborers will be needed to reach the city of Cheyenne? We're talking about a city of, what, 63,000, I think is what I've heard recently. 63,000 people. How many of those 63,000 people are meeting with the church family this morning? 10,000, maybe? I don't know. I haven't gone around and counted noses and asked pastors and gotten all those statistics. I really don't know. But it's nowhere near 100%, I'll tell you that. How many would it take? And where will the laborers come from? Andrew Murray wrote about verse 38 of Matthew 9. The number of missionaries on the field depends entirely on the extent to which someone obeys that command and prays out the laborers. Let me read that to you again. It's very significant. The number of missionaries on the field, the number of laborers reaping the harvest, depends entirely on the extent to which someone obeys that command and prays out the laborers. Engel's comment on that is, laborers are few because prayers are few. Engel also says, if this scripture, Matthew 9.38, and Andenbury's commentary is true, and the church really grasped its importance, then overnight, Matthew 9.38 would become the fiery petition on millions of lips across the planet. Every single day, we would not relent. So how are we going to respond? Oh, it would be nice to see that happen. It would be wonderful if Cheyenne was transformed and everybody came to Jesus. You know, as we pray that the Lord would send out laborers, we realize that our prayers are not changing his heart. Does his heart need to change? Isn't he the one that said that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance? Isn't he the one who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? Isn't he the one who sent his only begotten son into the world so that the whole world might know him? In the process of crying out to God, we find that it is, in fact, our own hearts that need to change. Not his. When we enter the depths of sharing the Savior's compassion, our hearts get conformed by his desires. Love is awakened. If you do not feel passion for his lost sheep, Pray, it will come.
you know, this was all kind of, sadly, new to me. But as I've begun to pray, Matthew 9.38 every day, the Lord showed me very clearly that I have not been a laborer myself. I've been too focused on living on my own life to be very concerned about laboring in the Lord's harvest. But as I've continued to pray, the Lord is making me more aware of people who are around me who need him. And he's giving me a desire to reach them. Now that's in its infancy stages. This comes to mind, so I'll just share it quickly. Das Trotman is the founder of the Navigators back in the 1930s, I believe, prior to World War II. Das had made a commitment to the Lord that he would not go to bed at night without sharing the gospel with at least one person. One night he started to go to bed and realized, oh, I haven't shared with anybody. He got out of bed and went and found somebody and talked to him. Now that might have been, you might perceive that as a legalism, but I would say there's a difference between legalism and discipline, between knowing what you do, what, I'm sorry, between doing what you know is right even when you don't feel like it, and just blowing it off because, well, I don't feel like it. So, how do we respond to this passage of Scripture? You know, I don't believe that Matthew 9.38 is a suggestion. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Do it! Don't give me excuses. Do it! People are dying and going to hell today because we're not praying that prayer. Specifically, I ask you to pray for your own family, like Kim was sharing earlier. Pray for those within your sphere of influence, the people that you know, people that you work with. people you go to school with, shop with, whatever, wherever you are, you take Jesus with you. And as you pray, I think you're going to discover that your heart will begin to change. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah sees a vision of the Lord. And he hears the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? As we pray, I believe we will hear the voice of the Lord saying to us, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And he will change our hearts to the point that we'll be able to say, as Isaiah did, Here am I. Here am I, send me. So, Father, I ask this morning that you would break our hearts with your compassion. 
draw us into this life of prayer. We're praying the Lord of the harvest to send out workers, laborers into his harvest. Well, this is not something that we can muster up on our own. We don't want to manipulate, pressure people to do anything. We want your spirit to move within us, to empower us, to open our eyes to the truth. So God, open our eyes. Show us the harvest. Show us the need. And enable us by your spirit to pray for laborers. And God, bring us to a point where we ourselves are willing to go. Perhaps not to Africa or some far off place, but perhaps to the person standing next to us or lives across the street, or that we see in the store. God, give us your heart. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Unless somebody else has something, I think I'm done. Um, Next week, Jay should be back. I will be gone. Bev and I will be gone. Um, we have a family reunion type thing to go to. The following week, by the way, two weeks from today, um, <coughs> Jay and Joy will be gone. Bev and I will be gone. Um, I'm not sure who else is going to the conference in Labarge, but several of us are going. So we've decided not to meet here. And we would encourage you all to go upstairs a half hour earlier and go to the service at First Baptist, okay? I walked through there this morning on the way in here, and there are a lot of folks up there that are uh, pretty friendly people, so I'd encourage you to go visit them two weeks from today at 10 o'clock. Um, remember tonight at 6 o'clock, the, um, what do you call it? Steel drum band, thank you. Okay, it's called One Way Evangelistic Ministries, but you're encouraged to go to that tonight if you're available. Um, anything else that we need to share? If you'd like to help Marty move, he's sitting back at the computer, please talk to him. Okay. All right. Anybody need prayer this morning? Some need in your life, physical healing, or some struggle you're facing. Or if there is, we'd be glad to pray with you. I'm not seeing any hands, but don't be bashful about approaching somebody and asking for prayer if you need prayer. God bless you guys. We'll see you in three weeks. Thank you. <laughs>